Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about housing over the last three years and the economic factors that led us to where we are today at the start of 2023, including demographics, COVID shutdowns, inventory, and mortgage rates. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Uh, it is going to be a great episode. So we are recording this in December of 2022, but it is going to go live on January 2nd of 2023. And really, this podcast is a lead up to your 2023 forecast, which um, is not out yet. But um, I thought we'd go back to the beginning and kind of give uh, people a context for how you do your forecast and how what what led to the economic conditions that we're currently in. So I want to go all the way back to 2020. Yes. Um, for those that aren't familiar with my work, I've been writing about housing economics uh, since the end of 2010. And for me, it was basically trying to give a very long economic tail forecast that from 2008 to 2019, we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever. And recovery doesn't mean price. I think my work is so different than what normal people talk about. Uh, a lot of people just care about where home prices are going. My my work is tilted more for the economic side. So because we had a housing bubble boom, burst, crash, credit needs to be deleveraged, population growth for prime age labor force peaked in 2007, and then declined, the setup was for a very slow recovery. But we work our household formation all the way up to years 2020 to 2024. There's where my work uh, splits and stops. And in years 2020 to 2024, we have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. So when you put up move up buyers, move down buyers, uh, first time home buyers, cash buyers, investors, you put them all together, you have what I call as great replacement buyer demand. And by this time, mortgage uh, purchase application data, that index should get up to 300. Uh, the peak was 500 in, during the housing bubble years. It got, it got near 100 like uh, at, at the lows of the index. But we were everything was working in like pretty normal, right? Uh, considering uh, everything we were dealing with in 2018 and 19 when rates got to five percent, and here it is, January and February of 2020, rumors of a possible uh, virus breaking out in China, and the U.S. economy actually broke out in a positive way, right? Housing authentically broke out. So this whole period. It all starts with January and February 2020. Home sales broke out. New home sales broke out. Housing starts broke out. Housing permits broke out. Purchase application data broke to 300 already. It already got there uh, all the way to March 18th even. We were seeing positive double-digit year-over-year growth. Then it happened, right? The, uh, what I call the uh, kind of the, the butterfly uh, chaos theory that we have an event itself. Uh, and what I wrote about in February of 2020 is that this event, if it occurs, right, uh, it's going to push, push the stock market lower. It's going to move bond yields lower. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create this very unique situation where the economy basically stops like what we saw in China uh, uh, in Italy. 
but don't overreact to it <laughs> because what's happened is we've been able to handle a lot of shocks in the previous, and this is going to be a big one. So here comes COVID and the mother of all chaotic events happened, right? And I think uh, how to handle a, a chaos situation is that even in the midst of all this, we were designing a model for housing in the U.S. economy in March when everyone was hoarding toilet paper, right? And I think the next stage of the conversation is the America's Back Recovery Model, which uh, we wrote on April 7th, 2020. I just want to clarify. I appreciate, as always, when you say we, but you wrote the America's Back Recovery Model and you're the one who has a model. So uh, for everyone listening, just a reminder, Logan is a team player. Uh, so he always Sarah, says Sarah, it, we, it, it, and he means I. No, Sarah, it means we, because you know there was a talk that maybe you shouldn't even publish that because it was so crazy. So in a sense, you facilitated the model itself because easily... Anyone could have said, this is crazy. There's no way the U.S. is recovering in 2020. Okay, we're not going to publish this. I do appreciate that. Uh, it was a big call because we were like, wow. I mean, no one else was making this call. This is in the middle of shutdowns. And you're like, oh, no, I see. I see when it's going to break. I see when the recovery is going to start to happen. And it's not going to be that long. And no one else was saying that. But you know what? We trust you. We trusted your model. And it proved to be right. Well, it did. And it was really based on the first level of behavior change, right? So uh, one of the dates that I talked about was May 18th. By May 18th, this is crazy, but we're literally like channeling what happened in China and Italy. By May 18th, behavior should change, right? We have this first you know, fluctuating event where everyone stops doing everything. We're dealing with a crisis. People are dying. And then even in China and Italy, people were starting to get somewhat back to normal. Even though it wasn't ever going to be normal, the behavior changed. We were hoarding toilet paper. Literally, there was no food in my local Albertsons, which never is the case. So this is a chaotic once-in-a-lifetime event. So by May 18th, behavior should change. Now, the reason I wrote it on April 7th is because two things happened on April 7th that I needed to uh, occur before I started to uh, uh, write the recovery. Um, the 10-year yield... Uh, for those that aren't familiar, I, I channel bond markets. I don't target mortgage rates. So when I started incorporating this in my work, uh, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, it was basically the same thing. The 10-year yield will be in a range between 1.6 to 3%, right? Over three and a quarter to 4.75% mortgage rates. That'll be the range base until the recession hits. When it became apparent that COVID was about to hit us, I said negative 21 basis points. Yes, negative 21 basis points on the 10-year and 62 basis points on the 10-year. This is the key of all my work on the America's Back Recovery Model. I know it sounds strange, but when the 10-year yield is above 62 basis points, the bond market is telling me we're in a recovery. It's a very complicated way of looking at it, but on April 7th, we were above uh, 62 basis points on the 10-year yield. And then the secondary factor was the St. Louis Financial Stress Index. Uh, was already recovering at that point as well. So the two things that I needed to connect the dots to write it on April 7th was there. So that was it. That was the start of the recovery. And oh my, the hate mail, the messages, the oh my, you're crazy. Now you're absolutely a lunatic. There's no way the US is recovering this year or it's going to be many years. It's going to be a long depression. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, here's a model. 
follow it step by step. So then here comes the process. Mortgage purchase application data declines on a waterfall basis. And after six weeks, it stopped going down. You outlined five different things. You were like, here are the the indicators, five indicators that would show when it was rebounding. And all of those things happened. The flattened curve, end of stay-at-home orders, the 10-year yield goes above 1%, as you said, um, declining credit stress and jobless claims, and data from the hardest-hit sectors started to trend upward. And I mean, you know, these are things that um, you identified. And as you saw them go, you're like, okay, I'm ready to now call this. Yeah. So the 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 progression of the year was that all the data lines started to do a very V-shaped recovery, right? Because it wasn't that the economy was in a recession. We literally stopped doing everything. So people always go back to 2008 where they think that foreclosures, bankruptcies, everything. No, we just made a very sharp V-shaped recovery. And this is why one of the things we talked about with Housing Wire is by July, you know, uh, about July 15, you're going to see this June data. By the June data, it's lagging, but it's already recovered. The housing market is already recovered at that point. And then all economic data had this very sharp V-shaped recovery. And then we're going into the kind of the next stage of where are we at with home sales? Well, by August, I wrote, hey, listen, home sales are going to be um, positive for the year. Then was the real tomato throwing and everything. Right? So there was no way. I said, yes, the front-loaded purchase application data was actually recovering on a 27 to 33% year-over-year basis. That means you're just making up the demand. We should be positive for the year. This is very critical when we, when we talk about what's going on right now because purchase application data got better when mortgage rates were heading down towards 6%. So the front-loaded data, and this is why I say you have to be able to read forward-looking data on housing and not get stuck with old data when there's a material change. And I think that's that's what we've seen in the housing market for, for many times. And the purchase application data is the best. And it led us all the way to the end of the year. I think what was really amazing about that recovery model and, and what you wrote to me and to uh, many of our readers was the exact dates that you had. That was bold. I'm telling you what, that was bold. And you were absolutely, you're like, no, I'm, I'm sure of it. And you put it in and you're right. So tell us what some of those key dates were. Well, there was May 18th by that time that behavior should change. And oddly enough, the, the strange thing was that on May 18th, I think California took its restrictions off on that date. So then it was like, people like, what? How did you know? I said, no, it was just it was just timelining what happened in China and Italy. Uh, another talking point date was June 15th. Um, uh, when we get when we see where housing is by June 15th, it will be apparent that it's already uh, recovering. Uh, we had the V-shaped recovery in purchase apps. So now it's just making up the demand that was lost during that period. Uh, by the end of September 1st, we should be in a better spot to handle the virus. Um, that's why in uh, 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 in August, I talked about existing home sales are going to be positive this year because the forward-looking data was then. I think the stock market had already recovered. Uh, and then the final thing was, when do I retire the model? Uh, when do I finally say, okay, that's it. It's done. We have to go to the next stage. It was December 9th, uh, uh, 2020, where I said, okay, the 10-year yield is getting toward 1%. That's pretty much it, right? Uh, The the U.S. recovery has has fully recovered. At that point, we were dealing with the forbearance crash bros, but uh, uh, that was the sharpest recovery. And when we look at the leading economic index, it bottomed out in April and then just had the sharpest recovery ever recorded in history. And and it it all actually looked pretty normal if you had a model for a global pandemic that ended up 
upbeat or a right. And I always encourage people, read the model, look at the dates, look at the data lines, let numbers be the handwriting of God. And then here we are at the end of 2020. And now we have to deal with the notion of forbearance was going to crash the market. Yes, thank you for leading us up to that point. And I do think that it was just a, a really stunning thing to that our readers got to know ahead of time, like you called it. And, you know, in fact, the end of 2020, we were already seeing pretty amazing home sales. We were seeing things bounce back, you know, just leading the way into 2021, which was crazy. And of course, the, the Fed acted in 2020 and their act, their quick action really led to those super low mortgage rates, which is what fueled everything else. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting? It was I remember I think it was March 23rd, the Fed went all in and I tweeted out um an old photo of me with a shaved head, you know, doing a Hulk pose and goes, This is our declaration of war, right? Uh against this virus. We're we're all in, we're gonna do this together. I have to tell you, like if I die tomorrow, destroying the American bears in 2020 is the best ever. I mean, it was just a bunch of trolling. I mean, there are rules on trolling the United States of America. And a global pandemic means hands off. Like, you can want to troll the U.S. now or whatever. But this was different. And there were stock traders and anti-central bank and all these people were just like, oh, U.S. is dead and you're crazy and anything. To light these people up in front of their families and their children, their spouses, their coworkers, everybody, to destroy them in a historical fashion I'm never going to be able to top that because I never once did not believe in my models. And you took it personally. I know that you took it personally that people were attacking, uh, you know, the U.S. at this time when we had a global pandemic. You're like, no, this is not right. And and so you went on to personally try to um, show them where they were. Destroy wrong. as many of them as possible, right? <laughs> okay, that's, because yeah, right, that's I, right. And, and just remember, I have documented everything, <laughs> all the messages all the tweets, all the emails, everything that was said during that year, I have it all stored. It always reminds me that darkness and light have to come together in this internal battle. And that was our victory, right? And you have to just almost in a sense show people that when the times were really tough, right, who actually stood against the darkness right there? And that was just a historical battle in that sense. But then now it's starting to get to the other stage, right? You have to move move away from the uh, America's back recovery model. And what had happened was inventoried America got really bad. Uh, uh, and it then this started the uh, warning of, hey, listen, you know, in this environment, home prices could get out of control, which, which then, you know, you're dealing with people that said, well, forbearance is going to crash the market. Home prices are going to crash 20%, da, 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 da. So then I thought, okay, we have to find a way to actually showcase people who, who are the authentic real data miners and who are the professional troll armies, right? So that's why uh, we created the term in September of 2020, the forbearance crash bros, a bunch of professional grifters running around in YouTube, Clubhouse, Facebook, whatever, saying forbearance, forbearance, forbearance. And this had to be a crucible, right? This could not be something... Kind. This had to be driving down the gauntlet on people that just don't have the experience or training to look at housing economics or credit risk. Uh, and, and the notion was that forbearance itself was going to collapse. And But we had to show a pathway, right? We started in September. We always upgraded these, uh, these uh, reports to show that forbearance keeps on falling and falling. And that eventually uh, forbearance went from near 5 million to, you know, under 400,000. 
a forbearance itself collapsed because the American household balance sheets were always good. That was, that's been my main talking point for many years. So this is why you need good homeowner balance sheets or, or, or stuff like that. So you, you get to handle the hit uh, better. And if it wasn't for COVID, none of these people would even uh, be filing for forbearance. And it was one of the biggest victories I've ever seen uh, in, in U.S. economics. It was a very successful program because people were just in shock and awe. They just didn't know what was going to happen. They took the program. A lot of them got off within three months. And then in time, they, they, this kept on going up. This, this, was a, this was such a huge victory against the uh, bearish American citizens who are all, what? Anti-central bank people. <laughs> and what are they? It's a Sierra Leone economic debt squad that just trolls the United States until every one of them passes off in the afterlife. And what happens in the afterlife always? Ears cut off, eyes out, no tongue, running around, screaming, the Fed balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet, right? So uh, another victory in that sense. But we did have some problems with housing. It was really that inventory broke to levels that I don't think people understood how bad it got uh, going into 2021. I do think that, you know, in the in the midst of COVID, especially in the shutdowns, no one really knew it was going to happen. You had a model, so you you felt like you knew, but most people did not. And that forbearance program was really, I mean, people wondered if what would happen with that because they're like, are a bunch of people going to take this who don't need it? Are they, you know, what's going to happen? What we saw is we did have some people take it who didn't need it. And then they got off. I mean, it wasn't like they, you know, we didn't have this giant abuse of the program, but people kept going back to 2008 and it's it's the scar on our industry that no matter what happens, people are like, oh my god, it's two thousand eight again, and especially when it came to forbearance and foreclosures. Yeah, this this is why it had to be a crucible event. We had to destroy the forbearance crash, bros, in the biggest fashion history. So this is a long year work, you know. Um, and what had happened was in twenty twenty one, nobody, a lot of these people just didn't give it up, and they said, you know, well, at the end of twenty twenty one, forbearance is going to uh, a stop, and we're going to have a mass flood of inventory. Guess what? It's always, there's always a mass flood of inventory coming. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never in data line for 10 years, but here it is. So we took it all the way, all the way toward the end of the year. And when forbearance was about to come off, we even said back then, I think we were down to like 1.7 million homes in forbearance. And everyone said, oh my God, we're going to have 1.7 million go to the market. You remember weakness and darkness runs together. The clan that was doing this were not one of us, Right. They were wishing and hoping for people to foreclose on their homes because of some hatred of the United States of America. This is why I do this. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't, I don't have to write anymore. I don't have to do. But I wanted to take these people down. So history, so their children, their grandchildren can know that their fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers were these people, right? Uh, and this was, yeah, personal in this stuff. So uh, we won, right? The country won. But there was a downside in 2021, right? Early in the year, doing the kind of media tour, I said, listen, everyone, we all have to worry about home prices escalating, not uh, a a housing deflationary event. Even with rent, uh, toward the end of 2020, I said, hey guys, their cities aren't dying. Rents are about to take off. Rental vacancies are falling, right? Remember going to the Washington Post in early 2021, talking about, hey, listen, core inflation is about to take off Higher than uh, higher than two percent, and stay up higher because of rent inflation, and that's what we're dealing with. So, uh, the positive side was, yeah, we was not two thousand eight. We recovered, jobs are coming back, and then the negative side is total inventory levels broke to all time lows at the worst moment ever recorded in history, and it was like, oh boy, this could get ugly, and it got ugly in twenty twenty one. 
It did. And, you know, we, we think of it as like the perfect storm of you had that giant demographic patch coming up, uh, reaching their peak home buying age, which you had predicted 2020 to 2024 long ago. So we have that. We have historically low mortgage rates. So anyone who had ever thought about buying a house was like incentivized to buy a house. Plus, you know, with COVID, people are like, I don't want to live in these smaller, you know, condensed areas. I want more room to spread out. I'm working from home. My kids are at home schooling. And so we had this, you know, huge demographic patch, really low um, mortgage rates. And, you know, but people weren't selling their house at the same rate. So, so it was a pretty incredible, perfect storm. Yeah. And, and one thing I always like to emphasize to people is that the, unlike the uh, 2002 to 2005 period where we had four years of uh, solid home sales growth, credit growth, everything, uh, 2020 existing home sales only were 130,000 more than 2017 levels. Uh, if I average out 2020 and 2021, we only had one year of purchase application data growth. Uh, two years of sales growth average out was only about 350 to 375,000 more than 2017 levels. What happened was we, for the first time, we had an authentic inventory shortage where we forced people to bid against each other. We never had this in the data. And this is one of the reasons I like to show those historical four decade charts of inventory. Um, back in 1982, 1985, 87, we had a lot more listings or active inventory back then. We had a lot less people back then. Now we have a lot more people, a lot less inventory. This was a pure uh, once in a lifetime event where we just had a raw shortage of homes and rental vacancies and everybody flooding the markets and they're bidding against each other. And the work from home model impacted you know, the, the, the moving premise. I, I always thought people were just going to move more in general just because uh, ages 30 to 39 were going to be prominent and people, you know, pregnancy tests were taken off positive, kids are having, so people need bigger homes. But the work from home put everything on steroids and it became, you know, a very unhealthy housing market in uh, 2021. And this is why I've always said in years 2020 to 2024, there is a risk that something like this could happen. So I said, I said a 23% five-year home price growth model. Housing would be okay as long as we only grew at peak 23% in five years. Well, by the end of 2021, it was over, right? We had 20% home price growth in 2020. We had 10% growth in, in uh, 2020. So we were well above any historical norm, well above my levels as well. So it becomes from a unhealthy housing market to what we saw in 2022 was a savagely unhealthy housing market. Savagely unhealthy housing market. We heard from so many people, and so many people adopted that because it was the perfect term. It was a perfect description of of the housing market that we got that year because it just it just went crazy, and it set up the inflation that the Fed is is trying to fight against now. You know, it's interesting. Twenty twenty two to me is the most historical housing year, even more than twenty twenty, uh, uh, because in twenty twenty we just had COVID. We had a sharp. A de decline and then a V-shaped recovery. And then that was it. It was pretty, pretty easy. Home sales were rising. Everything was moving. Here in 2022, it's like a Shakespearean play. Um, in October of 2021, I wrote an article for Housing Wire talking about what's the risk for housing. It wasn't higher mortgage rates or anything. It was that inventory levels can break to all-time lows and we have home prices acceleration. So when, when people ask me, what, what do you mean by the savagely unhealthy housing market? Well, my price growth model is already done. January, February, and March of this uh, 2022 
We had excessively bidding wars getting worse and worse and worse because we started the year at all time lows in inventory. So we were already in a bad spot. So by February, uh, I think mid February, that's when the savagely unhealthy housing market began. That's when I went on Twitter live, threw my towel on the housing market. I said, we need higher rates because this is about to get, we're about to have another 22 to 27% home price growth year. And that's not good for anybody. And one month after that is when we got the uh, Federal Reserve to do the housing reset. Unfortunately, there are people who feel like the Federal Reserve overshot on exactly what that housing reset looked like, and they decided to take it out mostly on the housing sector. Would you agree, disagree? I will defend the housing reset on a worldwide bus tour to every city in the world uh, <laughs> with the Federal because I don't think people understand you never want to have a uh, situation where uh, shelter is being bid against uh, uh, American citizens because basically it's it's such a necessity that people would actually do whatever it takes to get that shelter. This is not like I'm bidding against somebody for an Xbox or an iPhone. Uh, shelter is primary. It's it's a fundamental thing in life. So everyone needs a form of shelter. And we just had such a savagely unhealthy housing market that we needed rates to get up higher. Uh, for this to kind of uh, calm itself down, and, I, and and for me, it was it wasn't even that high of, of a rate that needed to happen. Uh, we go back to the summer of 2020 when I talked about uh, home sales were going to be positive. I said, what can cool down the housing market? Was the 10-year yield getting above 1.94 percent? And that to me, that 10-year yield getting above 1.9 was such a key part of my work. Not going to happen in 2020, of course. In 2021. That was the peak range. I think we got about 1.76 on the 10-year yield. But in 2022, we had the backdrop of global yields rise. And for the first time, I said, if Germany and Japan, if Germany and Japan bond yields could rise, we could get the 10-year yield above uh, and, and housing should cool down. And that's what happened. And then it just, you know, inflation just took off and the Russian war happened. Uh, wheat prices, the commodity prices took off. And then the Federal Reserve reversed course and went full guns of Navarone on uh, rate hikes and being very aggressive. And that started this uh, other phase in 2022, which was historic in nature. So you were team higher rates in early 2022. Uh, at what point, or or did you become not team higher rates throughout this year? Or, or, do you, or do you feel like that was appropriate? First of all, it was very appropriate. And, and second of all, you know what, what, what occurred actually early on in the year is that I thought four to 5% mortgage rates would do more damage. It wasn't. Uh, I had expected, and again, I, I, I tie numbers to my work. I expected that we would see uh, four-week moving average year-over-year declines in purchase applications between 18 to 22%. That would mean that, that that's a real big material change in the data line. We didn't get that uh, uh, when rates got to 4 to 5%. And I was like, wow, we're only getting mid-single-digit declines. That's not going to do it, right? Uh, and as you can see, as the months went on and on, uh, uh, you know, home price growth was accelerating, but not not fast enough. And then rates got to six percent, and then the market changed uh, in that self. But then what happened is mortgage rates started to come back down again from six and a quarter to five percent. We found some demand around five percent, but then it shot up to seven seven point three seven. And then here's a problem: how mortgage rates were acting in the bond market is what third world countries have to deal with. Right, not for the United States of America, that is the biggest economy in the world, biggest military, the dollar, all this. So we were we were having rates move so fast that 
it changed behavior in the housing market to where people just stopped listing their homes in at the end of uh, June. And that is a really big negative hit because, again, a, a big theme of my work is trying to explain to people that a traditional seller of a home is also a traditional buyer of a home. And this is why the inventory channels since 1982 have been very stable, except for the 2006 to 2011 period where we had forced credit selling. And those people were selling in a sense to be homeless. You don't usually have that in a functioning normal housing market. So the waterfall dive in demand uh, just got worse and worse because if you don't, if you if you're getting hit on the mortgage rate side, that marginal home buyer is gone. The first time home buyer gets hit, but if new listings decline, you lose the move up and move down buyers. So you're you're really you're losing four of the six kind of uh, 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 um, home buyers in, in within a year. So we just saw this waterfall dive in demand, uh, and we didn't see the parabolic spike in inventory that people have talked about going back to three and a half to 4 million, like we saw in 2006 and seven. Okay. You have about two minutes. I want you to get us up to speed the month of December, 2022, leading into where we are in 2023. I, I believe the biggest story that I saw in the month of December was that mortgage rates going from 7.375 to near 6% changed the uh, housing market. It formed a stabilized uh, base and that this is something you could work from going in the future. And this is something I believe the Federal Reserve has seen as well, that there are there is a rate level that it, that isn't that much to get the housing market stabilized. And again, we're working from a very low bar now, so it doesn't take much to move the needle on the data. That 6% mortgage rate actually uh, even surprised me how much that changed the marketplace. Wow, that was great. Very, uh, very concise. Thank you, Logan, so much. The next time we have you on, we might be talking about your 2023 forecast, which people are asking me about all the time. I know they're asking you about all the time, so I can't wait to get to that. But thank you for laying the groundwork and the foundation of how we got where we are now. Uh, it has been a pleasure, and it's been a very wonderful experience to go through all of this with you, Sarah Wheeler, all the way from the start in 2020 to all the way now we are in 2023. It has been a journey. It has been a journey. And I will keep fighting you on the we versus I. But apart from that, we get along fine. But thank you so much, Logan. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... How is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.